Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Let's talk about sleep. Let's make 2019 the last year you suffered through bad sleep. Listen to these studies from Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. We need eight hours of sleep. One of sleep's biggest problems, temperature. It's tough to get good sleep if you're too hot or too cold. It's 2020, and now you have the pod by 8sleep. The pod is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool and your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. For the next week, get $200 off your pod and a free gravity blanket, sounds pretty fancy, for a total value of $500. Only at 8sleep.com pro. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash pro. 8sleep.com slash pro. Hey, and welcome to episode 17 of the Flying Bee Anaheim Ducks podcast. I am your co-host, Anthony Ciardelli, here again remotely with my other co-host, Husky. How you doing? Anthony, good, man. Yeah, happy new year. Happy new year to you, too. I heard you had, I think we both had a mellow new year, but uh, definitely need the rest for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we didn't stay up late enough to catch the New Year's, but uh, just kind of celebrated the next morning we were i think both asleep by like 10 o'clock so it was a quiet one <laughs> very nice excellent yeah same here i think we were we watched the, the east coast celebration and then by 10 30 we were out so was the baby yeah. so <laughs> good mellow one so yeah today we're going to talk uh, the ducks last three games including last night's really thrilling victory over the uh wow national predators sorry brain fart there and then uh, the two losses to uh, the Arizona Coyotes and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, but, yeah, I mean, getting into, I guess, the most recent game first, last night, how, how did you feel about uh, their performance? It was pretty exciting, huh? Yeah, it was an exciting game. I saw um, – I caught the end of it um, kind of live and then just watched the, the highlights. And then, uh, uh, yeah, another – a good, good start. I mean, Deloria at it again. This guy is, uh, I mean, just really carving out a nice role for himself with the team and kind of continues to impress and bring the energy, kind of way to, a great way to start the game off and kind of set the tone that always uh, has, a, has a way of getting the bench going and getting the home crowd going. And, um, yeah, I thought they, they played well. Um Obviously, the 4-2 lead and kind of giving that up in the third, but finding a way to uh, to get that second point and just get a win, get two points is huge. I thought uh, against a, a team uh, that is kind of hungry for points right now, too. Like, they're kind of mid-season, but they're almost in, in desperation, though. I mean, that's a, a team with expectations, uh, I think, and um isn't where they want to be and it's kind of desperately trying to to right the ship and and find a way back up the standing so it's a, a tough opponent and I, they took the play to him 
uh, I thought, uh, for the better part of the game. Shot totals are kind of indicative of that. And I think the, the other advantage is getting a team on the back end of a back-to-back game always uh, always helps when you can get those at home. Absolutely, and, and certainly surprising uh, considering – uh, the success over the last few years that the Predators have had, that they fired Laviolette and uh, the assistant coach, Kevin McCarthy, today. I think that took all of us by surprise. Wow, I didn't even see it. <laughs> that's, that is a, that's a shocker for sure. And I think, I guess that, yeah, it just really shows the, the frustration they're having there and the expectation of that they, they feel like they're in their window now and need to kind of, uh, win now with the, the state of uh, the group they have there at this point. Uh, I guess with Forsberg and some of the acquisitions like Duchesne and they still have Yoshi and um, or Yoshi. Yoshi. <laughs> <laughs> Playing too much Mario Kart there. <laughs> yeah, Yoshi. Uh, no, Yoshi. And, and yeah, I think it was two weeks ago I, I was uh, listening to some people talk about this and they everyone just kind of was like, yeah, I mean, that, that was the success they've had under uh, Laviolette. He's a great coach. I played for him in Philadelphia. He's a, a great kind of players coach and a great motivator. And um, I played a, a unique system when we were in Philadelphia, but I, I love playing for him. I thought he was a great, great coach. And, to... uh, and that was kind of one of the guys that you thought was untouchable kind of regardless. So that's, uh, that's shocking news. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he found a job pretty quickly. He's been certainly very accomplished since his days in Philadelphia and and, and with the Predators. So I think he won't be out of a job for long. Um, but uh, in addition to that, I wonder if, if Nashville kind of saw what happened in Toronto uh, with the firing of, uh, of Mike Babcock and then Sheldon Keefe taking over and Toronto really uh, jumping up in the standings where many people expected them to be instead of uh, back down near the bottom of the league. So um, I think that might be a little bit of a motivator as well. And same with uh, the, the, the stars had already kind of righted the ship before Montgomery was fired, but uh, still they've, they've, I wonder that this maybe all the coaches that have lost their jobs already uh, performance wise or for other reasons, it just makes it kind of less of a, less of a stigma to fire your coach. Maybe, uh, I mean, that's maybe just my thought. Yeah, no, I think that, that makes sense. And yeah, you've seen other, other teams do it. And uh, yeah, the, the Maple Leaf situation and when it works. And yeah, I mean, every, it's kind of just the, the nature of the beast that every coach just has a, a shelf life and uh, with every group of players and it's eventually um, going to happen. And in most cases, I guess, unless uh, you're Bill Belichick, but uh, it seems like, yeah, every in, in hockey, that's kind of the trend and you're just trying to have as much success as you possibly can for the longest amount of time. But uh, every, every, uh, yeah. All coaching situations have their kind of due course that they're going to run, and he's had a great run there. And I think you're uh, bang on that it's it's not going to take take long for him to land uh, somewhere else for sure. Now, getting to the game, Daniel Sprong gets two points. That's uh, two points. His first two points of the season, his first goal and an assist as well. So technically, that's two points in two games. I know a lot of Ducks fans were kind of clamoring to see him get up into the lineup in, in the NHL and, and kind of help the Ducks with their offensive 
potency problems. And so far, it's worked out through two games, although I think the first game he played in, he wasn't really, I mean, it wasn't the greatest performance. Um, but he gets a goal, uh, gets a goal and an assist, uh, and the goal comes on the power play against Nashville. So uh, excellent. Not exactly the the shot type of thing you were looking for for Sprong just pounces on a nice rebound. So he shows some wherewithal yep. in front of the goal. So uh, definitely, uh, definitely a good sign there. Fowler gets another goal, just uh, uh, impressive season by him so far. He's, he's probably going to, I mean, if things continue, eclipse his career high and goals scored and maybe threaten his, uh, his career high and points scored. If he can pick up, pick it up a little bit assist wise. And then uh, I, I wanted to hear what you thought about just, Fowler's continued success and Sprong. Yeah, I think Fowler's just having a great year, and just the way the kind of game has evolved, it's just does nothing. His style of play and just his skating ability alone, it just it's tailor made for like the modern modern NHL, and he just gets around the ice so effortlessly, and just the change of direction, the pivoting kind of edge work. It's all phenomenal. It just looks so effortless out there. And, uh, and just the, the game he's developed, he's, 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 uh, kind of grown into his potential. And, and I think this is what everyone, uh, expected him to, to grow into. And as you kind of get that continued experience to, to pair that with, uh, with his natural ability to become a great player. And yeah, he's on a, on a team that has a little uh, more trouble scoring goals than some others to, to have that kind of offensive season. I think he's uh, yeah, he's been great this year from the, from the very start. And uh, as far as Sprong, yeah, he's, he's an interesting player. I, I think uh, the definite, the, uh, I mean, you talk about natural ability with the the skating and um, yeah, like definitely all the tools. I don't, that's that's uh, definitely not an issue. And the offensive talent, the great shot, very dynamic player, which I think kind of tends to to jump off the ice and is something that that people can can notice and and grab onto. I think it's probably uh, um, uh, I think that's that was always a, they're those type of players. And I think they're exciting to watch. And I mean, that, that's the hard part for a lot of guys is, I mean, it's hard to stand out and look like a, uh, be a noticeable kind of dynamic player and have that element to your game. Like that is a, a rare, rare thing that a lot of guys would kill to have. And, and he's got it. And yeah, he kind of, like I say, like his, his ability is, is evident. And uh, his physical attributes are, are evident as well. And I think for him, it's probably just a matter of the, the details, probably uh, improved defensive play, I would suspect. I mean, I haven't broken down his film or anything like that, but just with a player like that, historically, that, that kind of tends to be uh, where the work has to be done. It's kind of uh, defensive zone coverage is... Um, you know, just kind of the, the finer points of the game, maybe. But uh, I think if, if he can get that down, I'm sure they've been – that was part of the the point of having him down in San Diego was to kind of fine-tune some of those areas and get him in a bunch of different situations so he can round out his game a little bit. But uh, to have him back, uh, I mean, it, to, to see him 
get back in the lineup, get up, and all of a sudden uh, jump right into a Perry power play scenario. That just kind of further shows that that's never been an issue, his, his talents and his ability in the offensive zone. It's just you've got to be a complete player to play in the NHL, and, and uh, if that's kind of his path and what he needed to work on, I mean, hopefully he's, uh, he's up, up for good now and can continue the offensive success. Yeah, there was a uh, Eric Stevens of the Athletic had a great article um, about Sprong just a few weeks ago before he got uh, moved up uh, to the NHL and just talking about what the Ducks wanted him to kind of focus on less risk taking better, better defensive responsibility and positioning all those things um, that kind of uh, Kevin Deneen was taking uh, basically as his responsibility now that Dallas Eakins is up in the NHL. So uh, I think if he's continuing to put up points, he certainly uh, will continue to earn himself a spot. You would hope considering that he's one of the potentially one of the guys who can help the Ducks score goals. Um, Moving on to the uh, some, well, before we move on, I thought it was funny after the game, the Nashville game before, uh, before Laviolette got fired, but also after, Ducks fans really taking pride in the uh, the Schadenfreude of of the Nashville Predators. I uh, really, really that that rivalry continues to uh, persist even after the the playoffs a few years ago. So uh, very fun to see that, and that that had to be I think a highlight of the Ducks uh, Ducks fans twenty twenty so far. Yeah, yeah, it was a big win, a good result against uh, a good team, a team that's been a pretty formidable uh, part of the the West over the past few years. So, yeah, it was a good win for sure. And, uh, I know it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of been a, a slow, um, kind of gradual falling kind of down towards the, the standings and to, to be at the bottom uh, hurts. But I think we've seen a lot of, good signs for the future. I mean, the standings as far as was never really what this year was going to be about anyways for the Ducks. So just to see a lot of positive signs and then hopefully this is a, a win that uh, can lead to, to more, maybe get some confidence in the dressing room would be great. Absolutely. So now moving on to some of the uh, more, I guess you'll call it frustrating games of the, of the week so far or last week, the Coyotes for two law are, Ducks for two loss to the Coyotes. Uh, a problem I've noticed over the last few games uh, that I thought the Ducks had done a good job earlier in the season kind of avoiding and, and stopping. Uh, they had this problem last season, but even against the Predators last night, Coyotes and the Golden Knights, keeping players out from the front of their net. Uh, over the last three games, uh, opponents really have felt like they've had free reign in front of John Gibson. You noticed a lot of scrambles kind of in front of the net where Gibson had trouble covering the puck. The pucks, the, the, the opponents are kind of jabbing at his pads, jabbing at his glove, keeping the puck alive and really wreaking havoc in front of him. And, and that's resulted in a few goals, including a, a couple goals we'll talk about in, about the Golden Knights game. But Coyotes really did the same thing. Uh, I thought they, they really caused a lot of problems. Christian Dvorak was was giving the, the Ducks fits in front of their own goal. Um, is that something you've noticed as well? Is it, is it just kind of something generally that, that every team, I mean, I know a lot of that's, that's why they call it the dirt, one of the dirty areas. It's one of the most violent and uh, hard to hang out places on the ice, which is why, I mean, in your experience, is that something the Ducks are kind of struggling with right now? Or, or is there a way to improve on that? Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, I think I don't know. You, you 
just when you start seeing stuff like that, when when like if it happens once in a while, sometimes uh, like as a defenseman, you can kind of get caught on the wrong side of someone as far as body position and. Um, like forwards are good at it too. I mean, it looks like uh, just kind of general pushing and shoving kind of in front of the net, but there's a, there's a lot of sciences to it. And I mean, going back to the, the guys standing in front of the net, I think I've talked about them before, like uh, the guys who are really good in front of the net, there's a real science and art form to it about kind of putting someone on, on your hip or kind of just, being able to time where you're going to be in relation to the goalie and the shot when the, and kind of anticipating what angle the shot's going to come or trying to get your stick available so the defenseman can shoot at it. Like there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but uh, I think for a more elementary kind of take on it, a lot of it just comes down to, to battle and desperation in front of that. And I mean, whoever is more desperate, you know, and when you start seeing a repeated pattern of forwards kind of batting in rebounds and uh, getting tips on pucks or, or stuff like that, that's kind of where you see it kind of creeping in over a two, three game st- stretch where it's happening multiple times. That's when you kind of have to address it on a more fundamental level and just kind of decide as a group or as a coaching staff, got to make it a focal point that, hey, like, look, we've got to up our we've got to be more desperate than them in front of our net because you you look at these teams that are in the hunt for playoffs even in december january that every every point matters and that with the with the extra point overtime with the three-point games every point so huge and i mean you're seeing these i mean teams are playing so hard and it's december january and i mean guys are diving at pucks in, in front of the net, whether to keep it out or get a stick on it. So uh, I think you just got to look at your battle level and kind of start from there and make sure that's that's where it needs to be. And then I guess from a tactical standpoint, uh, as a defenseman, there was always talk of like do your work early as far as body position and box out. So don't wait until the guy's in front of your net to try and – and established and then try and um, realize that the, the shot's coming and then try and get a stick, like try and wedge yourself and your body in between him and the net or, or you know, they call it a box out or whatever you want to call it. You got to, that's another art form to do that without getting called, but at least kind of make it harder for a guy to get to the net or if you can anticipate that point shots coming, maybe get a, a little, a couple second head start of getting your stick or getting your body into his hands or something like that, just to, to make things a little more difficult. And yeah, like in that Phoenix game, I just noticed the one, one goal. Uh, I believe it was the four, two goal uh, just off of face off, but it wasn't, wasn't much of a face off play. Like, I mean, there's, there's some pretty good face-off plays, but this one was pretty basic. And uh, the guy shot for a stick wide, and um, uh, I don't know. I think the defensive maybe could have just taken a step and, and gotten over, and that guy's uh, – and just kept him a little more towards the corner, and then there's his stick isn't an option to shoot at. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's easy watching on TV, and it's harder – uh, harder playing, obviously, but as a whole, I think yeah, that that's a fair point. That I think that 
the desperation and the compete and the, and the nastiness uh, even has to has to pick up on the whole when you start seeing that happen multiple times like we have. Have you heard any uh, any inside info or any any experiences from the season so far from your buddy Jason Demers on the Coyotes? I know they're they're uh, contrary to my preseason prediction. Um, obviously, making me look like an idiot and <laughs> playing pretty well. So now they've got Taylor Hall. Have you heard anything from him about how how he feels their season's going, or, or any uh, or any interesting tidbits that that you'd be willing to share? Uh, I talked to him one time. Um when uh when san jose was in town a couple uh went to dinner with a couple of boys and uh we gave him a call after and just kind of put him on speaker and it was it was more just a kind of nonsensical uh laughing and chirping it wasn't much uh wasn't much insight into any anything hockey, but I, I think, I mean, they're they're always kind of right on the cusp. I think they they've kind of got a little bit of a cushion this year. Um, yeah, the, the Taylor Hall pickup shows uh, you can kind of tell again, like what a what a GM's thinking, and they think that they've they've got something this year. Um, they're kind of going to put together a little push and do what they can to see how far they can take it. And all of a sudden, I mean, you got him with a lineup, you got Kessel and some other good young players like Keller, Dvorak. I mean, they've got a, a pretty nice looking lineup there um, with some upside to boot. So I think, uh, yeah, they will be a team to watch and well coached and always, always tough to play against. They always kind of seem to, uh, just look they look fast um and uh yeah just scrappy so they're they're uh they'll be tough to watch and tough to a tough draw for anyone i think uh, you know the playoffs they kind of always seem to be right on the cusp anyways but i look they're looking good to get in this year and there'll be a handful once they get in before we get on with the rest of this episode, let's talk about some sports gambling. Christmas has come and gone, but the Super Bowl is quickly approaching. We've seen just what our teams are capable of this season, and now it's time to get your last bets in before the bowl. Will the Ravens be able to get it done? Will the Vikings continue their momentum after their OT win over the Saints? I bet you have a feeling. Head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. MyBookie is one of the most trusted in the industry. If you're looking for a sportsbook to make some bets for the bowl games, MyBookie is where you want to go. Football not your thing? No worries. MyBookie has got it all, from the NBA to the Premier League. They've got the fastest payouts and the best promotions, and a very helpful 24-7 customer service team. You can even pool your bets together for a bigger payout. Let's say you've got a couple of big favorites this week. Parlay wagers let you bet multiple games together and if they all come through, you win big. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sportsbook around. If you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in, in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-V, to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code B-L-V to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid. Absolutely, definitely. And uh, a positive thing I, I take away from the Coyote game, I really loved uh, the Jones goal. I mean, that, that might be my favorite goal of the year for the Ducks, just is so kind of 
the passing, first of all, between uh, Delzato and Sam Steele and Jones to finish it off, uh, or it was Sam Steele to Delzato, Delzato to Jones, was crisp. It was defensive participation in the offense. Uh, Sam Steele showing what he's capable of with that cross-ice pass. And then Jones just with the awesome Max Jones, just the unbelievable foresight to lay his stick all the way down flat and keep it in his hand, just create a huge target for Delzato to pass to. And all Delzato had to do was just kind of bank shot it off of, off of Max Jones's stick into the net. I thought that goal was unbelievable. And I think if you're a Ducks fan, that's what you hope for in the future. Kind of a, it had all of the makings of what, of what the Ducks I think need to do to succeed um, in the future, have a young player, a couple of young players participate in the offense, defense jumping up, offensive creativity. Uh, I thought it was great. Did, did, did you have any thoughts about that goal? Yeah, I like that goal too. I thought it was a nice play by Steele, kind of coming in on the uh, just a subtle little play, but just a little delay and kind of open up the stick and uh, got to buy some time. And yeah, the. The KG veteran uh, Delzato, I love when the D getting up there in the rush just to kind of create and make yourself an option and um, you know, coming up the backside. And that, that, I don't know if I've ever seen uh, a stick positioning like that. But yeah, like you say, I just created a huge target and it was great. To, well, I don't know if that's something he was taught or if it was just kind of spur of the moment. Um, but just uh, you had to lay your stick down that and just kind of give a little bank, a bank option almost was uh, yeah it was a great play like like I say uh, creative and, and innovative and uh, you love to see that yeah like, I don't think I've ever seen goals scored like that so that was uh, that was good stuff. Absolutely. So moving on to the Golden Knights game, um, tried to go sandwich a couple negatives or a positive with a couple negatives. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I thought that was their worst game of the season. Five-two loss. They were getting outshot. Gibson had to be uh, had to play his best, but I mean he couldn't do it alone. Uh, this is the game specifically where I noticed their uh, lack of compete in front of their own goal. I guess we'll call it. Uh, and you could tell that because the refs actually had to earn their keep on the on the goal that Manson, the own goal that Manson had. You saw, uh, forget if it was the linesman or the ref, really skate in. He saw the puck the whole way, didn't blow the whistle. And uh, unfortunately, Josh Manson uh, just happened to shovel it into the back of his own goal. Um, there were a lot of unassisted goals as well uh, for the Golden Knights, which I think goes to show maybe some bad turnovers in the offensive zone. I'm thinking specifically of the stone goal. So not a great game. I'm wondering, do you have any idea, I mean, in your experience, what happened with Josh Manson there? Was it just maybe you thought he heard the whistle or because uh, it seemed, I mean, not that he would do it intentionally, but relatively intentional the way he kind of moved his stick. Yeah, that was a, a, a weird play, uh, to say the least, and just kind of a, a weird sequence and yeah, obviously very weird finish uh yeah i think it's probably you just you see the puck land like just sitting there and clearly you know it's not covered so yeah i mean the instinct is there you just want to get in and and get your uh, stick on it or maybe he was trying to kind of uh almost like a a one-handed backhanded toe drag to get that thing out of danger and just ended up kind of bunting it with the bottom part of the stick instead um but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just glad that I was uh, out of the league before having to go play in that Vegas barn with those guys. It just seems like they just kind of come in waves and they're just kind of relentless and the crowd gets going. That, that's got to be a tough, tough place to play. And, uh, tough night for the boys there. Uh, and just with the the speed and, and uh, the tenacity of just the four check, it's just like, looks like one of those games where you feel like you just can't even breathe as a defenseman. It just, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think in those games, you just got to kind of, try and weather the storm as best you can and there's not really any any margin for error you just got to try and survive the first uh, half of the game and then hopefully get some good goaltending and and get it to overtime or something like that but it, and if that doesn't happen obviously there was a couple of I felt like we're kind of kind of a little more too casual uh plays which we haven't really seen a lot of that this year and um, and I think it's probably accurate of one of the one of the toughest games, uh, toughest performances for the Ducks. And I mean, that, that's just a tough a tough barn to play in there. And uh, any anything other than uh, kind of letter perfect execution, that's what you're going to get on a night like that. And um, yeah, just a couple of kind of casual outlet passes that I mean they get intercepted and. And that, that they were buzzing. Vegas was buzzing. That Smith, so Carlson, guys are still getting it done. I mean, they, they just seem to be everyone through up and down that lineup was just flying. So that was uh, that was a tough one. Uh, one thing I noticed, a couple things, uh, rather than just kind of, uh, yeah, it was bad. It was a bad game. Uh, a couple things I noticed on the so uh, penalty shot. I was wondering, like, if they're kind of more lenient on that the puck always has to be going forward, or if they've kind of loosened that up to allow for some kind of fancier moves, because he almost came in and he was almost skating back towards the bench with the puck by the time he shot it in. He came in, kind of dipped down on the sharp angle and came in on his forehand and then just held it, held it, held it. But he was almost skating backwards towards the bench, like the puck was moving back when he shot it in. But I don't know. It was a, it was a nice nice move in the, in the practice, in like a practice shootout. But it was just something I noticed. I, I just want to double-check that rule. But it's kind of an oddity that I noticed if I was – I don't know if you can challenge that or what, but I don't yeah. do you know? Do you, do you see that penalty shot goal? Yeah, no, that was uh, that was pretty interesting to me. I, I for a second I got confused with the save that uh, that Gibson made in the Nashville shootout win. That that one was unbelievable. We even forgot to mention that, but um, yeah, I I it's a strange it's a strange kind of uh because the puck has to be moving forward i think but the the player doesn't necessarily have to be theoretically right 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 but in that that instance they were both uh but like no one said anything like none of the none of the ducks players and the goalie or or the coaching staff no one seemed to that an eyelash so i guess i just have to let it go (laughs) well i mean (laughs) it is it is an interesting 
it is an interesting point to make because it's it's kind of a feeling ever since I've started covering the Ducks and and every every team has this where fans think the refs are out to get them but normally for Ducks fans it seems to be a, a lack of penalty called in their favor yeah. and, and too many penalties called against them but uh, so I'm surprised that I didn't hear more about that I mean yeah. much credit to you to even notice that because at first I didn't but that is a good point now watching it it, it certainly uh, I think could have been I don't know if you're even allowed to challenge that uh, or if the ref is if the ref can uh, yeah. if the ref can just has to notice it live but um, yeah. yeah, I think you got a point there. I think you got. I think a case would be made if uh, if they yeah, were able to challenge it. Yeah, that was a good. That was a good opportunity for a tweet. I should have tweeted that. <laughs> the second tweet second ever. Tweet. Yeah, I could have <laughs> missed my chance. Before we start this final segment of the show, let's talk about a New Year's resolution, guys. It's 2020, and you know what that means. It's time for some better personal hygiene. Listen up. Hair down there is so 2019, so if you're going to pick up a New Year's resolution this year, it's to take care of your equipment bag. Manscaped is making it easy with their grooming products. Obviously, you want hair on your head and not down below the belt. Uh, I think many uh, a lady will tell you that, or guy, guy or lady, and that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your equipment bag. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and don't use the same trimmer that you use on your face for your undercarriage. Just don't do it. That's gross. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V at manscaped.com. Start the new year off right by using the best tools for the job, your nuts will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BELIEVE, that's B-E, excuse me, I can't spell, B-L-E-A-V at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code B-L-E-A-V. Uh, and the other point of note, uh, it was just kind of another subtle thing, was um, Silverberg. Oh, I know we're going to talk about having a great season and he scores uh, a goal like a second after uh, the penalty had expired. So it wasn't a power play goal. And I just remember like as a player, I was the absolute worst. I was like the penalty killer. So you do all this job and like you, you kill off the, the two minutes, but then, so that's good. But then all of a sudden, like if they score, two seconds earlier, you don't get a minus. But like you battle for a minute, minute and a half, and then a guy just, or the guy jumping on the ice is even worse. Because you just jump on the ice, literally take a stride, and it's a minus. So that was, uh, I just remember, that just brought back memories of how they said, oh, the, the penalty just ended, and seeing the guy skate back on the ice as the Ducks scored. Like, God, I used to hate that. That's why you gotta. That's why you gotta become a proponent of all these new school fancy stats. The the new school fancy statters hate plus minus. They think it's the worst stat possible in the NHL. So you got maybe you've got some some commonality there with them. Yeah, I mean, I was. It's always. Yeah, I mean, even going back to when I was playing, it was always. Uh, some people kind of thought it was the perfect measure as a player, and some people uh, thought that. It meant nothing as the most overrated stat in hockey, and it usually kind of depended on where your plus minus was at that season, how much uh, you were leaning one way or the other. 
I always thought it was uh, the best thing I heard about plus minus is that if you're really uh, if you're really high, uh, that usually goes along with. Uh, I mean, being on a good team helps, but that's usually a good indicator of having a good season. And if you're really low, that's usually a good indicator of uh, having a tough season. But anywhere kind of in and around uh, even par is usually pretty good. But uh, even par makes me think, have you seen the Mike Commodore stuff with the green jacket? No, um, no, not, not from memory. Oh, you got he's so every year he's doing he's doing it uh, kind of a little more prominently every year now. But he has to, <laughs> the green jacket is obviously the master. So the person who has the lowest uh, plus minus <laughs> of the year in the NHL gets his green jacket, and he has like he just posted the leaderboard, and there's a couple of guys on Detroit who are like minus thirty five or something. <laughs> Talks about how they're having a really strong. Uh, that's creative i like i like yeah. i like a lot of his stuff i like uh, his insider stuff even if it's not entirely all accurate it's it's pretty funny so i, I gotta check that out that is that is really good um yeah. it's interesting yeah the, the plus minus thing too i mean just from my experience in amateur hockey the way a defenseman changes I mean, if, 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 when it's a matter of just stepping on or stepping off the ice, uh, on defense, you, would you almost have more of an advantage because your, your teammates are changing when there's maybe an offensive rush going on and you have a chance to step off the ice or, and so maybe uh, that's, that's the whole game within the game as a defense and there's the plus minus and there's plus minus etiquette. <laughs> so if you're changing as a defenseman and if you're getting towards the bench and, uh, say for example, you, you've been in the D zone, you're blocking shots, whatever, and the puck goes up the ice, and you're going to change. And there's kind of like there used to be kind of like a two to three stride rule, where like if you're within two or three strides of the bench when the change was going on, and your team scored, those two defensemen would come back to the bench and let the two D coming off kind of go up and collect the plus. <laughs> That's fascinating. Whereas, yeah, whereas if you were if you were past three strides, and then you can you could feel free to kind of jump up, and technically you got to get up in the play and uh, and like get your gap and and pre gap and all that stuff. So you have to get up the ice, but there was a certain kind of radius that if you were within that radius, it was kind of expected you would come back to the bench, and especially if you were like a young guy. And a veteran was coming coming off the ice. Then it was like five strides. Then you'd have to come back. You'd <laughs> like, actually have to hop off the ice back onto the bench. Yeah, yeah. And then wow. those guys would kind of skate up and collect the plus. And it was just kind of being a good team guy. And and because I mean those those stats. Uh, I mean, I was like. I mean, that was a telling stat as a defenseman back then. And, and so the difference between being even and being minus 10 or plus 10 could mean a lot of money with arbitration. So there was, there was a lot of kind of stuff within the game that 
uh, we just kind of fall under being a good form as a teammate to do that. I'm not sure if that, how much that would still exist, but then as it kind of got in my later years in the career, you'd see guys with their, their three hardest strides they'd take all game was if they were two on one up the ice and uh, <laughs> they were getting off the bench. They'd be in a rush to get their, get to that fourth stride to kind of get immunity from coming back to the bench. So they could get a better chance with the plus, but yeah, all those little things. It was kind of fun. That is hilarious. That's, that's very interesting. I never knew that I, um, that would freak me out. I mean, that's something I would never think of if I were a young player coming into the league, I'm sure I would get in trouble for that. And <laughs> if I were, if I, if I had, if my uh, hockey career had unfolded differently, um, Speaking of Jacob Silverberg, we spoke about earlier, he gets elected to his, I believe his first all-star game, which is pretty awesome. Congrats. Well-deserved. I've always thought of him kind of as a Patrice Bergeron light, but then you could always argue that Bergeron's been on uh, a good team specifically now, such an offensively talented line that um, he just, like we were talking about with plus minus, just an opportunity to put up more points than maybe Silverberg does now on a team that's struggling offensively. But uh, just an all-around, I think, two-way game and, and offensive skill set combined with just a smart player. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well said. He's, he's, uh, this has been a good stretch of years he's put in uh, and just performed at a high level for the Ducks. I mean, you said it, like a very cerebral player, very responsible uh, up and down the ice, but uh, always – uh, but yeah, high, highly skilled, great offensive instincts, great offensive player, great shot, uh, great hands, good vision. He's he's the total package, and he's yeah he he's put in a lot of good years here for the Ducks. And I thought that was great. Um, uh, the extension last year, he's just become kind of an institution here, and uh, yeah, just Mister Reliable. You know what you're going to get year in year out. So that's uh, happy for him that. To, to finally get get the recognition on that level and make an all-star game. And I think also well, uh, a very underrated, well, maybe not underrated, but a very smart Bob Murray trade in terms of timing. Silverberg comes and really uh, cements himself as, a, like you said, an institution. And Bobby Ryan, unfortunately for him, goes to Ottawa uh, and kind of drops off pretty quickly. And you know, he's un- obviously uh, entered rehab um, or something of the like over over in Ottawa so wish him all the best but well timed in terms of uh, maximizing your assets for Bob Murray yeah I, I think uh, yeah at the time I think yeah I mean Bobby Rye I mean what a talent like kind of a um, yeah of that era and, and his draft class I mean just a phenomenal phenomenal skilled player and, and a great guy too Um yeah, obviously he's had a lot of uh, some injury stuff, and, and those things are are just kind of luck of the draw or bad bad luck. And so you hate to see what injuries kind of pile up on a guy, and that, that definitely kind of affects your performance and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, luckily for uh, for uh, Silverberg, he's he stayed stayed healthy and and just yeah, he's performed at a high level, and it was. Uh, a good pickup and I think yeah like I don't think there was a lot of didn't come here with a lot of fanfare uh but as really I mean 
during the Boudreaux years. And still with Randy, it doesn't seem to matter who, who the coach is. He just kind of uh, continues to perform. It's impressive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, very impressive. So uh, let's get to the three stars. Considering it's uh, we've just wrapped up the holiday season, but I think we're still within striking distance. Let's talk about three best Christmas gifts you got that were hockey related. They can be a material good or something that happened in your career. I know if I remember correctly, you had some uh, an excellent, uh, I think, timed uh, Christmas gift in this uh, kind of in the more abstract type of way. Yeah, we. Um... So yeah, we uh, so yeah, obviously that that was the big one. It was my my first uh, first call up. I was just getting ready. I booked my flight home. I was playing in the, the Ducks farm system uh, in Portland for uh, Kevin Deneen. Actually, we talked about Kevin Deneen earlier. He was coaching us. Great coach. Uh, learned a lot from him. And uh, yeah, I'll. Dino skated over to me. I think it was the last practice, and he had booked my flight home. I was excited to go home and see all the family and friends and kind of unplugged for a couple days. And, yeah, I remember it was the – I think it was the end of practice, and old Dino skated over to me and said, I got to talk to you about something, and kind of gave me the news that I'd kind of been waiting for. And it's ironic that, yeah, I mean, this was – I think of all the the times that over the years you kind of monitor what's going on with the the big club and I mean in the minors you you're kind of watching the games always uh, of the big club uh, just to see how everyone's doing and I mean it's uh, I mean it sounds kind of barbaric but you're always looking to see kind of what the injury situation is and just for kind of what that could mean for for your team or yourself or your, your buddies who are like say forwards or goalies or, or anything like that. Like just always watching with interest. And I think at that point I'd almost like stop watching and just kind of uh, reserved any kind of not hope, but I wasn't really actively watching. I just kind of thought it's going to be uh, you're in the minors and was just kind of, going about business in Portland and then uh, yeah go figure when you stop paying attention and uh, get get the news at the end of practice that I was going up so that was uh it was that was a pretty cool Christmas gift for sure and then uh, I guess was your, I don't mean to interrupt but according to hockey yeah. reference your first NHL game was December 23rd 2006 so two days before Christmas that's uh, that's pretty awesome yeah, so I guess it must have been, yeah, practice on the 22nd. And, and then, yeah, I flew out uh, that night. And then, yeah, we were playing in Phoenix uh, with Wayne Gretzky on the bench. So I was just like, that was uh, just a little a little something extra um, to add to it. Uh, I believe we uh, ended up losing that game. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought I was happy, like, personally with how it went it was just uh kind of a dream come true for me and had no idea what the next six months were gonna include but that was definitely a a huge moment in my hockey career and kind of uh made i definitely was happy that i made the decision to stay back and kind of give it one more try uh rather than go to europe that was kind of the biggest decision that summer before which i had to go go to europe for more money or to stick around to try and uh 
get that first NHL game. So yeah, that, that was a definitely a cool, a cool Christmas time moment. Uh, the other two were probably uh, what jumped uh, immediately kind of to mind was uh, the annual uh, Christmas gag gifts that always takes place in uh, dressing rooms. And uh, there was one year in San Jose uh, after Derek's went up to San Jose, my first year there. I remember um, it was my first year in San Jose and I was coming off uh, ankle surgery and I uh, I don't know I was still trying to, to kind of find my legs and then probably lost a, lost a good step from uh, from my days in Anaheim I was still trying to kind of recapture that and uh, work up to speed and we were about halfway through the year and uh, things were going okay the team was doing well in San Jose personally I was kind of doing okay but I was was open for better and was just kind of frustrated with how the year was going and uh the boys I mean it's a great crew there in San Jose awesome awesome guys and uh kind of nothing nothing was offsides and uh it was all about a lot of chirps and like, it, it was great. But the, the boys got me, uh, and kind of personality wise, I always tended to be a little more, uh, more quiet and that kind of thing. So, uh, the boys got me uh, unwrapped it and it, it looked, I could tell by the wrapping and I unwrapped it and it was a pylon and I took it to me like, man, these guys are calling me a pylon. Like I was so like, and I was so sensitive, guys, about my like skating. I was like, I'm, I was just like, man, I like threw the pylon down, and like the boys were just going crazy laughing. And I was laughing too, and on the inside, I'm like, man, I'm trying, like, <laughs> not, not as fast as I used to be. All right, like, but uh, no, they. And I guess it was more uh, along the lines of using the the pylon as like a megaphone. Uh, uh, to like to like speak up or whatever, but anyways, there was always a, a ton of uh, ton of hilarious stuff. And then as I kind of got started getting into my uh, 30s, and uh, then the gag gifts usually kind of tended to revolve around like uh, like I got a, I got a healthy dose of gray in my beard, so it would always be like the just for men gel to get the gray out of your beard or like. Rogaine for like a little thinning hair up top, or just like just ruthless stuff. Now these guys are ruthless, but it was always, always good for a laugh, and always a, a kind of uh, funny to see what everyone else got. Funny to kind of have a good laugh at yourself too. So those were, I guess, uh, those are my memories of kind of Christmas time and, and hockey and that kind of thing uh, yeah, from, are... the, from the pro game, anyways. Those are great. Those are the, the pylon and the, uh, the just for men. Those are hilarious. And obviously, uh, I, I noticed also on hockey reference, your first NHL point was boxing day. That same, the second game of your NHL career, right? An assist. Yeah, it was a greasy assist. I think that it was in the neutral zone and I just chopped it off the boards. And I think the other two guys did all the work, but yeah, it was, uh, I got a nice greasy assist in my my second game, so that was uh, a nice gift for sure. That was another good one. 
There you go. Well, mine are kind of, I mean, I try to think of the funniest ones. Um, the first one, yeah. not so much funny, but more just like a little kid. I think I got my first uh, tickets to my first NHL game on Christmas or, or in my stocking. And it was uh, Bruins versus Penguins, I believe in 1995. So I was stoked about that. And I just remember it was a, one of the first or second years of the fleet. It was called the fleet center back then. And uh, yeah. I think, I don't think Mario Lemieux was playing. I think it was, I think, Man, it was kind of a weird era for the Bruins where they had Neely was injured. They had Rick Tockett. I think they had Kevin Stevens. He had just been on yeah. the Penguins and he was he was playing on the Bruins. So it was kind of an interesting, uh, interesting iteration of the Bruins. But I just remember this drunk guy hanging over the balcony of the Fleet Center yelling at Tom Barrasso, just screaming at him. And I <laughs> I I looked it up. I my memory, I tried to find the exact game on hockey reference and if I find if I found the right one, I don't even think it was Barrasso and goal. I don't think, uh, which is funny. So I, the guy yeah. might have been so drunk he didn't even know who was in the in the Pittsburgh goal. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very possible. Yeah. Um, and then my other ones were pieces of equipment. So one of them was when I was younger. Uh, uh, did you ever see or hear of the trilage, the triangle shaft hockey stick? It was supposed to be made for like helping with your shot. No, I never. I, I thought I heard of every gimmick of all time, but no, I never heard of that one. So my dad got me the triangle stick, uh, oh. and my teammates were fascinated. I mean, it was young enough where they were like, oh, my God, what is that? Like, I wasn't, I mean, at least not to my face, being made fun of for it. But uh, yeah. even, I mean, that was probably when I was maybe 11 or 12, and, and uh my up until high school, one of my one of my teammates who was a goalie. Uh, was like, man, remember your triangle stick? That thing was ridiculous. And uh, looking back on it, it was uh, I had an absolute muffin of a shot. I mean, it was just atrocious. So maybe that was my dad trying to help me uh, get some velocity behind my wrist shot. But that thing was was not scoring me any goals on <laughs> on the release what, or quickness. What was the thought of that as a uh, as a training aid of the the triangle was supposed to help the grip or it was just supposed to make it harder so then when he used a regular stick it was easier i think it was about rolling your wrist it was i it was a, it was supposed to be using i used it in games and practices it was somehow about roll like rolling of your wrists and maybe the follow-through of the shot uh was oh, supposed yeah. to be yeah it was but it didn't i mean it didn't work i had an absolutely horrible shot until i graduated i mean until i started doing we'll call it the um the uh, puberty-related wrist exercises, I didn't exactly have a good shot. <laughs> uh, so that's, it's amazing how that shot, really, that shot really has come around in meds league since I, since I got married. <laughs> yeah, that's classic. Uh, and then the last, the last one was um, I bought, so I, I think it was probably in my mid-20s, my, my mom got me a gift certificate to Pure Hockey, which was the the hockey store that, that was nearest to me when I was living in Boston. And I, I, I thought I was, I, I bought myself a pair of the white Reebok 11 K skates and they only had neon laces, neon green laces at the time. So yeah. I was, I don't know what I was saying. I knew at that point that, I mean, I should have known before then, like you don't wear white skates and you definitely don't wear neon green laces. Uh, so <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a, a, a fashion statement to say the least, and I got hacked yeah. beyond belief by oh, by all my opponents. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, my skin definitely thickened. And the excuse I would use was, which was BS because I bought them on my own with a gift certificate was, uh, my, my mom bought me these skates for Christmas and I just, I couldn't return them. It would be insulting. I mean, yeah. I, I have to wear them, but, uh, in reality, yeah. I, I chose them for myself. So the secret's out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's a good pick. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So that, and I, I wore them until just a couple of years ago, uh, and they were really narrow. My feet were in extreme wow. pain. So, sorry, still with the neon laces? No, no, no. Those were gone as fast as I could find a pair of regular white or black laces. Uh, I I got rid of those okay. real fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think that'll do it. Anything else you want to add? Ah, uh, no. I think that's it. Good times. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. As always, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Delhi Tweets. That's D-E-L-L-I-T-W-E-E-T-S. And Kent on Instagram at H-U-S-K under dash V-E-R-N-A. And you can always find him at his coffee shop, Huskins Coffee in Santa Ana. Uh, So, yeah, I think till next week, Kent, have a good one. All right. Thanks, Sam. You too, man. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.